Chapter thirty seven of the Pioneers by Catherine Susanna Pritchard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. Deirdre and the black boy drove their straggling herd into the stockyard in the narrow bush clearing, walled by trees, an hour or two before dawn. The stockyards which Connell had put up at the end of Narrow Valley were invisible to any but those who knew the winding track that led over the brow of the hill and through the heavy timber on the spur to the old hut at the foot of it. Teddy was pulling the rails of the outer yard into place, and Deirdre was going towards the hut, socks at her heel, his bridle over her arm, when a horseman rode out of the opening into the valley by which they had come. She recognised the red horse, but did not know that it was Davy riding till he was almost level and dropped to his feet. He swayed against the horse's side, clutching his reins. "'It's a shame. No one to bring the brutes but you,' he said weakly. "'I came, as soon as I knew.' Deirdre put her arm out to him. They walked slowly towards the hut. Davy became weaker. She drew the horses by their reins behind them, keeping her eyes on him. The ground rocked under his feet. "'We're just there. Another minute, and it'll be all right,' she said, and called Teddy. He had seen Davy Cameron's red horse coming into the clearing, and ran up to her, chattering with fright at the sight of Davy's limp figure. "'Put the horses up in the shed. Leave the saddles on,' she said quickly. "'You go back. Tell boss. Cow's all right. Davy very sick man here.' Although an hour earlier nothing would have induced the boy to brave the darkness alone, it was not many moments before he was up on his weedy, half-wild nag and streaking away towards the cover of the trees and the thread-like track which wound uphill along the spur. Deirdre opened the door of the hut. Davy took a step or two into it and fell forward. She set the brushwood on the hearth alight and threw some broken branches over it to make a blaze. There was no stir in Davy when she knelt beside him, and a pool of blood lay on the floor where he had fallen. She ran out of doors for water. In the semi-darkness of the hut it was difficult to find anything to put water in, but there was a pannikin near the water-barrel, and she filled that and tore pieces of calico from her petticoat to bathe his wound. Groping along the shelves near the fireplace, she found the end of a thick Russian tallow candle. She did not light it at first, because the fire had sprung up and was lighting the room, showing its meagre equipment, the branding irons and a saddle flung down in a corner, a bunk against the wall with a couple of sheepskins over it, a table with two or three pannikins and a black bottle on it. There was a drain of some spirit in the bottle. She poured it carefully into a pannikin and held it to Davy's lips. His immobility frightened her. She lit the candle and held it close to his face. Under the leaping yellow flames it had the mask-like stillness and pallor of death. "'Davy! Davy!' she screamed with terror creeping up beside his heavy still body. "'Oh, you mustn't die, Davy, you mustn't!' Even as she sobbed, she thought he was dead. She put the spirit on his lips again. "'Oh, I've done all that I can, all that I know to do. Won't you look at me, Davy? My heart's breaking. You've not gone, Davy. You wouldn't leave me. It's me, Deirdre, your sweetheart that's with you. Won't you look at me? Won't you open your eyes? I can't bear it if you don't speak to me.' "'Davy!' she caught him by the shoulder, shaking him roughly. "'I won't let you go. I won't let you die!' she cried. He fell back from her hands. She threw herself across him, sobbing brokenly, 
Pressing her face to his, she leant over him, murmuring and trying to revive him with a breathless agony of grief and tenderness. "'Oh, come back to me! Oh, you will not die! You will not die and leave me!' she moaned. "'Deirdre, that loves you, your sweetheart, Davy!' The cry died away. In her frenzy she had not heard the door open. Spent with anguish, she laid her head against Davy's still one. She felt rather than saw that someone was there in the hut behind her. She turned. Connell was standing in the doorway. She stared at him. He might have been an apparition, so strange he looked there in the doorway, with the glimmering night behind him. There was something stricken, aghast about him. He gazed at her as if the tragic woe of her face were a revelation to him. "'He's dead, and it's you that have killed him, Connell,' she said at length. "'You love him, Deirdre?' Connell asked. So slow and dreary their voices were that they seemed to be talking in their sleep. "'Yes,' she said, "'and it's my heart that's dead with him.' "'I didn't know you felt like that about him, Deirdre,' Connell said, a humble, awkward air about him. That it was Davy lay there dead did not seem to trouble him. It was of Deirdre he was thinking in amazed, dazed way, and the things she had said to him. "'You've done what no woman could forgive you, Connell.' A vibrating passion had come to her voice. "'I never want to see you again, as long as I live.' Connell stared at her a moment, then he swung heavily out of the hut into the yard. He had the gait of a drunken man. She heard him stumble over something in the yard, strike his head against a post. Then the sound of his horse's hoof-beats in the clearing died away. Deirdre looked down at the still figure beside her. In spite of what she had said, she could not believe that Davy was dead, that all that young, strong body would not move again, that Davy's eyes would not open and look at her with the eager, questioning glance she had known. Something of the horror of his stillness had passed. She moistened his lips with the spirit. Putting her arms around him, she gathered him up against her, put his head on her bosom and leaned over him, crooning softly, as though he were asleep. She beguiled herself by saying that he was only asleep and would waken presently. "'What a long time it is,' she murmured. "'Do you remember, Davy, dear, the night before Father and I went away, and I ran over the paddock to the corner of the road to see you? I was angry you had gone away without wanting to see me, yourself. You kissed me, and I kissed you, and I promised to come back and be your sweetheart, and we'd be married some day. And the birds laughed.' and the red runners were out by the road. There was a beautiful sunset, and it got dark soon. You said it was me you loved, and not Jessie. Then I went away, and it has never been the same since. But it will be. When you are well, and I can tell you how much I want you to love me again. She laughed softly. Do you remember how we used to go home in the cart from school together? and how we used to trot Lass up the hillsides to make her poor old sides go like bellows, and you showed me how to blow bird's eggs, and just said I wasn't a little lady to blow bird's eggs. Her voice ran on with a brook-like tenderness. If you'd come back, we could have all those times again, Davy, she whispered, looking down into his face beneath hers. Just when there was the faintest shimmer of dawn in the dim windows, a fluttering breath caught her face. She put the spirit to his lips again. So chafing his hands and calling him with tearful and eager little cries, 
she led him as a mother leads a child just learning to walk from the valley of the shadows davy opened his eyes they dwelt on her with a deep serene gaze she smiled and went on crooning to him half singing half sighing that beguiling little melody of tenderness and entreaty warmth came back to him his breath fell regularly and sweetly deirdre took the sheepskins out of the bunk and put them under him on the floor he slept a faint smile on his mouth his hand sought hers the fingers curled round it she sat watching him a mist of awe and joy and thankfulness gathering in her eyes because it seemed to her that a miracle had been accomplished that night in narrow valley hut End of chapter thirty seven